Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover its timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm David Wong, Executive Coach. I'm joined by my co-host Ian Felton, practicing psychotherapist. Hello, Ian. Morning, David. How have you been? I've been pretty well. Just、um, you know, making this transition to winter, and so far it's been pretty gentle, which is unusual for Minneapolis. But I'm sure that'll change soon. How about you?、Uh, we're not.、Uh, we're not getting much of the sunshine、uh, than last year. Uh, so um, yeah. It, So I, I'm trying to create my own sunshine. <laughs> by, Sounds like a great plan. Yeah, by、uh, you know making some coffee for myself and you know cook a good breakfast. Love it. Yeah. So、um, you know we're coming together to study chapter twenty-one, and before we do that, as always, I would like you to share、uh, with our listeners a moment of. Walking the timeless way,、uh, in the past week. Yeah, this one、uh, might sound a little different, but it was certainly this this moment that I had where it's been a very reflective time recently. I would say just there's you know cycles to life, and there's periods of deeper reflection, and then sometimes there's periods of just kind of. Living life and experiencing it, and I'd say this week in particular, definitely more on the deeper reflective side. And and I had this、um, recollection of there was a time in my twenties. I've always been pretty reflective as a as an adult, but I remember I was in this very long meditative. Period and kind of spent a very long period of time one day just really reflecting and meditating and you know kind of up up all night just kind of thinking about things and there was this moment where outside I heard the sound of a garbage truck pulling up to take the trash away and and I remember at that moment. I just I had this very kind of like the the lightning bolt experience that、um, we have sometimes of just this moment of realization, and it was intuitive at the time. I couldn't put words to it. Like, why am I feeling this way after hearing this garbage truck pull up and and start taking away the trash? And after that. Night. It was this very deep sense of compassion had welled up, and I even remember the next day, just going through life with, um, just a a, a very somber, heavy sense of empathy for everyone and the situation that we're all in. And I couldn't quite pinpoint the significance of that sound of the truck at at the time, and you know it's been decades later. But I was thinking I was kind of in a similar 
place and the realization hit me about what that was about, which is just, you know, we're, we're, we're not better than anything, you know, mm-hmm. even, you know, and I'm not saying that we're, we're literal garbage, that there's this worthlessness because it's like, even garbage has value. I mean, garbage exists for, um, I mean, it exists. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say go so far as to, you know, posit a reason for it. But the point being is that we're all in this state of existence and there's nothing in existence that is worth more or less than anything else. And I think that that was, I made that connection of what, that's what that sound was about that, you know, to some extent we're, we're all kind of the, the garbage of the universe, if you will. And again, I'm not saying that as if like we should feel worthless because that's going too far. But the point being that our very narrow view, our selfish view is what tends to cause us so much suffering. And of course, this is deeply embedded in Buddhist traditions where, you know, talking about the ego and desire and how the illusion of um, getting caught up in our desires and selfish pursuits is what makes suffering even worse. And it was that moment this week where I made that connection again, where it's like, if I can just lower how far we really have to lower ourselves and humble ourselves, if we really want to gain more of the stability that comes from truly accepting our um, human existential place in the universe. I see. As I'm listening to your reflections, uh, you know, I remember the uh, one of the chapters from Zhuangzi, Qi Wu Lun, which means on the equality of, you know, 10,000 things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the message there seemed to also, you know, to point to the fact that you know, I think sometimes, and especially in our culture, a lot of people are really full of themselves, mm-hmm. and they, ne- they never really gain a perspective on, you know, who the, who they really are. Mm-hmm. So, I guess at the end of the day, you know, we are a part of the universe. So I was curious about, like, the thought. That uh, you know the pulling uh, the garbage away, uh, you know by that truck. Was that a a feeling of what kind of feeling was that? Is that feeling of sadness or like it's a it's a depressing feeling? No, it was actually it was very a lot of clear just clarity of mm-hmm. um, kind of wiping away all of the struggle of the ego, I'm just using kind of some classic Mm -hmm. psychology terms here. I mean, the ego is not a literal thing. It's a, it's symbolic, but just all that programming that we get that starts when we're given a name Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then we start 
telling a story around that name, you know, the, you know, my name separates me now from everything else. I'm this distinct Mm -hmm. being or this distinct thing separate from the universe. And then we start telling a story about, you know, and our, it's usually cultural specific, but like, you know, who you should be and what you should care about and what you should pursue. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all these definitions about that are tied to that name. And in that moment, it was just a, a a separating of that. It's like, no, I'm not all this programming. It's just, I'm just part of the universe and, and, and not even saying an I like, not even thinking about it that way of just, it's, it's, it's this Tao, this just flow of existence that we're experiencing. And as long as we keep separating ourselves via, you know, that convenience, this name and all the definitions that are tied to it, we're going to keep staying perpetually in that state of additional suffering because it's kind of a lie, right? Like the, you know, the universe doesn't consider each person the special little package. It's, we're just part of this one thing, including the trash and including, you know, everything else that's around us that we're embedded within. So it's clarifying and uh, liberating to some extent. Oh, very liberating because that's where the compassion comes from. It's just we're all in this impossible predicament Mm -hmm. where we've been programmed this way with all of these lies, if you will. And that's what creates so much disappointment and stress. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the suffering is still there. The suffering of, you know, we we don't know why we're here. We don't know what happens after we die. We, we know that we're going to lose everything and we struggle and struggle and struggle. And, and it's kind of this futile endeavor. And so that part of suffering doesn't go away, but then all this additional suffering of societal programming and culture mm-hmm. and all the stuff caught up in the identity of, you know, you know, feeling like I'm not getting what I deserve or what I'm entitled right. to or, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, which is a great segue to our, uh, you know, our uh, chapter 21 today. Uh, that chapter uh, has, a, I think, discuss, provides a perspective that is connected to what you just share. So why mm-hmm. don't we do this? Uh, could you read the original text in Chinese, and then I will provide a, 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 a one of the versions of translations for that chapter. Great. Kong de zhi rong, wei dao shi zong, dao zhi wei wu, wei huang wei hu, hu xi, huang xi, Chi 
其中有精，其精甚真，其中有性。自古其精，其名不去。以月丈夫，吾何以知丈夫之人哉？以此。That's very good. When you uh. Read this? Did you feel like the the rhythm of a、uh, poetry? Oh, it's so obvious from the beginning. I mean, that、mm-hmm. very first sentence, "Kong de Zhirong, Wei Dao Shi Cong," just it's 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 awesome how he, the the choices that he made to make it poetic. And there's no way of getting it unless you read it in Chinese. There's, I mean, that's that's you're not going to get it from any English translation, right? Which I will share one version, which I thought it's a is a you know it's a, one of the better ones. I will share with our listeners.、Uh, this is actually this translation is from Jia Fu Feng.、Um, uh, yeah, let me share this one. Great. The greatest virtue is to follow Tao and Tao alone. The Tao is elusive and intangible. Oh, it is intangible and elusive, and yet within is image. Oh, it is elusive and intangible, and yet with within is form. Oh, it is dim and dark, and yet within. Is essence. This essence is very real, and therein lies faith. From the very beginning until now, its name has never been forgotten. Thus, I perceive the creation. How do I know the ways of creation? Because of this. Yes,、yeah, still very beautiful. Yes. But the the rhyming, the rhythm, it, it's it's much different than the Chinese. Yeah, I I think the translator was trying his, you know, his best to keep that original rhyme. But you know, as people say, you know, what is a what is a poetry? Poetry is, you know, what cannot be translated, or what is lost when it's translated. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so、uh, before we delve into the you know the the discussions,、uh, could you just kind of in a few words summarize、uh, for our listeners really the you know the 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 key message from this chapter? What do you think is the you know if there's one thing、uh, about this chapter, what is it? So. You know this this chapter is incredibly、um, abstract,、mm-hmm. and so, which makes sense because I'd say in, in a few words this this chapter it's it's about the elusive and mysterious nature of Tao, how、mm-hmm. it's intangible and unknowable, but also everywhere all the time. So what we can You know, infer from that it's it's intangible and unknowable, yet ubiquitous. The unknowable、mm-hmm. part is because of the limitations of the human nervous system. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I think the this chapter, you know, definitely reminds of us uh, of the uh, chapter one, if you remember the that mm. the beginning of the book, right? The Tao that can be named, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. Yeah. What? Why do you think lots of maybe? You know, 21 chapters in felt like he needed to kind of revisit this. I think it's just a way of conveying because Tao, again, it's beyond descriptions, beyond, uh, you know, any, you know, conceptualization. I think um, he, throughout the book, he kind of comes back to to Tao here and now. So this is one of the chapters that he kind of, you know, start to almost like a, uh, you know, he's like in a contemplative mode. You know, I imagine he was just sitting there and uh, really contemplate over, you know, what what it is, this thing that is invisible, but also real. What do you think? I was imagining something similar, just imagining Lao Tzu in a, a place of repose, probably very solitary, feeling mm-hmm. kind of just the awe of mm-hmm. existence. And, and when that hits, it's, it's overwhelming. And I'm sure that a moment like that prompted Lao Tzu to work through that feeling and, and do it in such a poetic way. Right. So maybe one best way is to, you know, to start from the beginning of this chapter, basically, you know, as you said earlier, uh, you know, these, you know, these, sentences I, I think one thing about the 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 chinese verses is always like the four right the four character mm-hmm. sentence so in this first sentence basically what's being said here is you know kong de is like de we know de and dao really mm-hmm. are the two pillars for dao de jing right dao yeah. and de uh maybe one you know since you know, some of our listeners may be the first time to, you know, get into Tao Te Ching. Maybe one place to to give give them a little bit of uh, in nutshell what virtue is, because that virtue might be different from, you know, our conventional definition of virtue. Yeah, I think this is the part that really connects with what I was talking about from my walking the timeless way moment that at least with my exposure to religion, it it was never explained in a way that was very satisfying. It was always, you know, a bunch of thou shalts and, or thou shalt not and thou Mm -hmm. shall, and just kind of a lot of prescriptions, but, but not really explaining, you know, where that, comes from and i think you know some of it's common sense like oh if if someone hits me it hurts and so you know mm-hmm. if i hit someone it hurts them and i don't want to get hit so i probably shouldn't hit other people i mean 
there's sort of that basic understanding that I think just applies. Mm -hmm. But then I think going much, much deeper when you kind of pierce beyond the time bound part. So the time bound part being culture, the culture that's been created that um, it's wrapped up in language mm -hmm. and the lang the language part that is part of our programming and just go deeper, deeper, deeper to I'm in this impossible position where everything that I want out of life, even if I want, even if I attain it in a moment, the second it's attained, it already slips into the past and is gone. So mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing tangible, you know, there's just this constant changing I can never get in a state of security in the environment because the environment's changing, the body's changing, everything around me is changing. Mm -hmm. And you keep reflecting and digging deeper and deeper and deeper, even deeper underneath our concepts of identity and who we are. And you, you realize even that is not solid, that it's kind of mm -hmm. an illusion. And when you keep going, you just, you realize how much illusion makes up every aspect of existence, that there is nothing solid, nothing permanent. Mm -hmm. And all of our aims are sort of vanity because, you know, it's not going to amount to what we would like it to. Um, and it's going to slip into the past as quickly as we encounter it. And so when you get kind of underneath, you know, the, that kind of piece, you're left in this kind of overwhelming state that can feel impossible. Like, I don't know what, what, what do I do now psychologically with this realization and in my mind, the way that I experience virtue, it's virtue is the antidote to that. And, you know, in, in Taoism, really just being a kind, compassionate being is kind of at the heart of that virtue. And also kind of going back to, you know, the, the garbage metaphor, not putting ourselves first, not acting like we're the most important thing walking around on the planet, you know, putting ourselves behind everything, you know, not, not trying to make ourselves stick out in in front of everything else happening. And it, it's, it flowers out of that place of that impossible place of um, powerlessness and the, recognition that every other living thing is in the exact same position that it doesn't matter how poor or rich you are how attractive or ugly you are it doesn't make a difference what you know demographics you have it doesn't make a difference what you identify as or or how someone else identifies you every single living thing is in that exact same 
impossible position. And, you know, Lao Tzu writes about that Tao being the leveling of all things. And that's exactly what it is, that there's, there's nothing that's going to be immune from that situation. And so virtue is what arises spontaneously with that realization. And so it's more of a feeling and a quality of existence that manifests when you've encountered that face to face, not just a prescription of, of words telling people what to do. Mm. So it's a almost, if I understand you correctly, you know, you use the word antidote. Like in my mind, when I'm hearing you're talking about it, I'm in my mind, I think of, uh, of like a, a life, life raft in mm -hmm. a, like, a, you know, stormy streams. Mm -hmm. In other words, it help us this kind of virtue, which is not a prescriptive, it mm -hmm. naturally arises to help us navigate the thing called life. Yes. That's what you're talking about. It's more spontaneous. It's not like uh, somebody is like dictating, you know, these are the things we, you shall not or. Um, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And that's the, the spontaneous part is that when you stay closely connected with that feeling of virtue, which, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately also means staying closely connected with that feeling of powerlessness, kind of in, insignificance and, um, you know, the, the reality that we're, we're in this ever changing moment that we don't have any control over. Then when you encounter things in that moment, you can spontaneously express that virtue without thinking about a list of rules. It's just, it, it's embodied in your actions. Mm -hmm. I see. I see. I want to ask you what, in your, what, what is the difference between, if you have to kind of distill and summarize the Taoist virtue versus, you know, virtues, you know, in other uh, disciplines or, you know, whether it's religion or philosophy or psychology, right? So, yeah, I mean, what's the key difference? I, well, well, I think the 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 first key difference that pops in into mind for me is that a lot of religions virtue is about pleasing God, mm -hmm. and um, it it's sort of um, to me that makes it contrived. Mm -hmm. where in Taoism... It's, it's almost like you are doing a transaction with God, like say, you know, I'm going to do this, you're going to reward me with this. Is that the kind of the, the thinking process? Yeah. Yep, or I'm doing it so that I don't get punished or something. Oh, like I that. see, yeah. Mm -hmm. Where to me, the virtue of Tao is, is, is really, um, or the virtue that's written about or, or encapsulated in the word duh and yeah. Tao Te Ching 
is spontaneous from the human heart, from a deep sense of felt compassion for Mm -hmm. all living things. Mm -hmm. I see. Probably more, more similar to the Buddhist kind of uh, uh, approach, even though, you know, in Buddhism, you know, four noble truths, eightfold path, they're sort of, it starts getting into that kind of, you know, rule-based kind of iterations. But, you know, Taoism has the the three treasures, and so it's not immune from numbering things and, and iterating on them. But I think it's it's more similar that way, where it, it, instead of it being this, you better or else, it's a it comes from a deep exploration of the human heart and the human condition, and then it arises in internally. So there's that. I think that's the. It's and not think, from the outside. It's not. It's not from the outside. Yeah. I see. And, and and Christianity has that too. I mean, there's certainly Christian mystics, and I think in Christian mysticism, yes. and I think yes, you know, any there's not one umbrella. I mean, Taoism isn't the only path to get to this. I mean, it's not saying. I mean, that would be the opposite of what I'm saying. That you know, that that separates things. And what I'm talking about is Taoism is about not separating things. And so even being cautious to say, to use words like Tao and Taoism, because it's not the only path to that realization. It's, but it is one, one vehicle and one person wrote about it. A couple people, you know, Zhuangzi and Lao Tzu Mm -hmm. wrote about it in a profound way and it's collected under the umbrella of Taoism. But, you know, you can get to that same place via other vehicles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you you mentioned the uh, Christian mystics. I think there are interesting parallels, uh, you know, uh, between these uh, Christian mystics and the Taoists. The way I see it is, you know, I think the virtue, as you mentioned earlier, it's a realization. It's a, a you know natural arising from your own heart. Actually, based on that realization of nothingness, because you know mm-hmm. on the uh, you know when people first hear about nothingness, you know people think naturally think about kind of nihilistic, right? Yeah, the tendencies, yeah. but uh, both interestingly mm-hmm. for both Christian, you know, like say um, you know the Meister. Eckhart, you know, from the you know the German mystics. Hmm. I think you when you read read you know a lot of his uh, texts, I think he talked a lot about the nothingness and the, mm-hmm. you know the really the um, uh, nothingness of of being. So that mm-hmm. when you, you are empty yourself from that, all things mm-hmm. in you, then you truly can see God. So I I think yes. the negation, what seems like negative. Uh, is actually turning in toward a pos- something positive, which is, you know, compassion. Yep. And Lao Tzu does a great job of writing about that. And it's such a subtle way, but the chapter talking about what's useful about a room is the space inside. What's useful about a wheel 
is the space where all the the empty space where all the spokes connect and he's not hitting you over the head with that message but that is it i mean that's the deep that's the timeless thing that we're talking about that's the timeless moment that we're trying to stay in touch with that emptiness that actually creates ironically paradoxically fullness absolutely i mean it, it's totally different it's it seems like from the way we think in our culture right yep. uh you know when you look around you see uh politicians and you know people in the media i think a lot of time i get the impression that first of all they affirm the positive but they take the positive to so far that there's nothingness in the positivity right. of what they are trying to affirm, which is ironical in a lot of sense. Because people, you know, after a while, people say, oh, that's just empty words. See, mm -hmm. that's very interesting. You know, out of nothingness, there's com can coming out of that nothingness we talked about, you know, mm -hmm. with the Christian um, mystics or Taoists, mm -hmm there's actually something, you know, something arising, like a mm -hmm. valuable space, right? Mm -hmm. But if you talked about, think about the social media and everything, uh, there's the value there, there's positivity. But the way it's portrayed and people hear about it and people get numbed, people have distrust in that. So I find it's interesting. It's actually, there's the true nothingness out of that whatever positive aspect of things they portray. Yeah, it, it can be very confusing for people trying to mm -hmm. wrap their heads around it. And that's the whole problem is that it, yes, it requires cognitive thinking, but it's not a cognitive state. It's a state of integration, integration of the mind and the heart. And it's that heart piece that's really required. Mm -hmm. And, and, that's virtue. I mean, that's the, that's, that's what we're talking about with virtue, but we live in a political world and a political world doesn't care about virtue. It cares about, um, the performance, well, the perform. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. That was exactly, I was, yes. It cares about the performance of virtue. You know, it cares about likes. It cares about fame. Mm -hmm. It cares about the size of someone's bank account. It cares about all these binary terms like oppressor and oppressed and trying to simplify things down into sound bites and, and things that can be understood mm -hmm. in a TikTok video. But then people actually live this way. I mean, they actually live trapped in these political prisons and many people claiming virtue like and that's what it's about it's it's a lot of people instead of going down deep into that scary place that i talked about if you can see things black and white and say well i'm going to be on the morally superior side now i can walk around feeling morally superior to half of the people on the planet that gives me a sense of stability it makes me feel like you know now i'm significant and you know more significant than others 
and it the the downside is is that it dehumanizes so many people in the process right like we see it right now with the middle east where we're we're supposed to either pick israel or pick mm-hmm. palestine and in mm-hmm. the process we have to dehumanize the other people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. depending upon which side i pick you know now i need to prove that one side is morally superior to the other and whatnot and you're know, not getting into um into that in particular but but that's what happens we 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 perform moral superiority and um rather than actually embracing virtue and in, in, in a deeper sense right that's where i find it most ironical because it seems like through performing we are convincing ourselves that we have it which we don't the no. only thing we have it the only maybe a possibility we have it is to go deeper to be mm-hmm. quieter right as opposed to uh you know on that to be on that stage all the time mm-hmm. and uh you know performing that thing mm-hmm. because um it's not through performing you know that we we have it i mean it's just like <laughs> it's it's almost like a contradictory right the uh how do we know that uh we have more virtue duh, inside us uh it's probably just kind of shut up <laughs> sometimes occasionally yeah. right yeah quit worrying about it quit trying to uh, prove it yeah yeah so that's the whole thing i think about the the global dynamics i think um you know with the social media with also the interconnectivity i think it just depri- it seems like we're depriving of everybody to more and more to be themselves yeah and to be quiet and have their own you know root deep you know deep root in a particular community everybody is like pulled into that world stage <laughs> in some way yeah which is now you know the culture moving toward driving it toward labels which is the mm-hmm. opposite of virtue it's the opposite of tao i mean it's that's put a label on everything so that we can put it in a box and con- control it it's really about trying to control things and and what do you, you mean know, by control it like, well if you label that? if if you put a label on something mm-hmm. now you've defined it and so now you feel like you can control the narrative more and you control how you interact with it control how others interact with it i mean what what if other people are not convinced then is that a futile effort then i mean uh, you, well, you see what uh, i mean like if you're is that mm. self deluding then like you feel like you label it you name it you claim it then you label it you own it yeah exactly like so i mean it, it's an obsession and it's a sick obsession but look at everything and mm-hmm. you know how political speech is trying to define everything you know mm-hmm. if someone is over a certain age you call them a boomer and now boomer means all these things and now you feel like you understand 
that person and you've just reduced them down to this label boomer or yes, yes, you know, yeah. Gen Z or millennial mm-hmm. or, you know, the racial categories or gender categories. And it's all about giving people a, a sense of control over that thing and understanding something solid where there isn't actually anything solid there, but that involves nuance, complexity, and, you know, willing to be in a state of not knowing. And that's not what people want. People want to, they want certainty and labeling things as how you give the population all the certain certainty, but it also makes it easier to control them. I mean, so you look at where all the, this labeling is coming from. I mean, these are not grassroots efforts. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. propaganda. I mean, it's, it's, it's dividing people into all these tiny little boxes so that we're not in the state of virtue, because of course, like if the whole population was in a state of virtue, these institutions of power wouldn't function the same way. Right. Yeah. I I remember, uh, uh, you know, I remember when I first got into consulting, working with, you know, the leading companies, uh, you know, especially on their marketing side. Uh, it's interesting that they try to create what, you know, what's called the, like a customer segments, right? The soccer mm. mom or this and this. Yeah. It's like basically a, a, a way of uh, understanding this nebulous, you know, complex market, right? Mm-hmm. So you start to put a, a label around a certain group of people. Mm-hmm. And then you you try to paint a picture of their needs and then you use marketing to target them. I mean, it's the this whole uh, tactics, you know, as you just described, mm-hmm. is a way of, yeah, I think it's, um, it's a way of controlling or a way of, um, I don't know. I feel like human beings, do you think because you you do the you know you 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 know you study you know psychology and you know uh, serve as a psychotherapist? You think humans there is a natural need for humans to take control over things because if you don't have a certain level of control, I wonder you know uh, I, I'm just like play devil's advocate a little bit here like say to what extent we do need a sense of control to navigate the complexity of life. Well, let's keep in mind that writing is a fairly recent invention Mm -hmm. and it's writing that makes it possible to create all of these labels and and Mm -hmm. definitions. And so, you know, as a species, we were existing not the same way, but we were existing just fine without writing. I mean, there was plenty of human innovation and human, um, Mm -hmm. um, advancement that was made prior to writing. And so we don't, it's not necessary. I mean, look at how many species there are out there. I mean, all of the primates that exist out there without writing. So no writing isn't writing and labeling isn't required. It's a tool that we invented. And to some extent, I think this is what Lao Tzu even saw that the, this was going to 
dehumanize people. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. I mean, when Lao Tzu talks about the utopian Mm-hmm. village that we all might leave live in i think he even says let's get away let's do away with writing i mean he spells it out he even says because the you're writing and all this symbolic thinking that's actually interfering with the heart of humanity and this is the 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 conclusion of it i mean you look all computer systems it's mm-hmm. writing um you know, all of these things are are a product of symbolic thinking. Now, I'm not suggesting that we can go backward. Mm-hmm. We can. I mean, we're not going to do away with technology. We're not going to go do away with reading and and these things. But you know, this idea that technology is nothing but endless progress is just it's just not true. I mean, right, look, right, look. right. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think the uh, if I think about the you know the humanist or even enlightened thinker, enlightenment thinkers, they probably would not agree with Lao Tzu. Don't you see? Like, mm-hmm. do, do you? They they probably believe in the power of you know arts and science. Yeah. You know, as you know. Uh, you know, key ingredients of uh, human civilization. So it seems to me that for human species, even prior to language, just the nature of the human species, because the how our brains are wired, like mm-hmm. they evolved, it seems like we rely on certain what we call psychological construct, right? Yep as a tool, as a navigation yep. tool to help us. But mm-hmm. there are poorer tools than better tools. So mm-hmm. for example, virtue in the Taoist sense might be a even more powerful tool than most people realize. Because I see other psychological constructs, for example, you know, self-efficacy or human agency, right? Our identity. These are when we just look at all these things that help us uh, subjectively navigate this, what we call life, we rely on these things. But mm-hmm. some tools actually have a bad effect. They are, so in other words, I'm trying to see that maybe there are better tools than others. But as a humans, because Lao Tzu also said, four things in the cosmos are really great. Tao, heaven, earth and humans. So from that sense, humans do hold a special place, but not as, you know, we think like, you know, special, like unique, Mm. like, you know, heaven and earth will treat us like specially. Mm. But I think he also acknowledged, you know, among 10,000 things, uh, we have something, you know, special, primarily, you know, maybe our way of our cognitive you know, uh, capacity. The thing is that cognitive uh, abilities let us, could let us astray, you know, that we create lots of self-deceiving psychological construct, which originally we, we do need, if we agree that we do need some kind of psychological construct, then we need to kind of evaluate more broadly what constructs are more helpful 
than others. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's the problem is that since civilization has begun, I'll just say 10,000 years ago, just roughly that the, the cognitive construct of symbolic thinking Mm -hmm. keeps becoming more and more self-reinforcing. So, you know, Mm -hmm. for example, Mm -hmm. beginning a civilization writing wasn't, like I said, it wasn't, it didn't matter. It was just kind of blooming and blossoming. Right. It did. It wasn't central, but then, you know, once writing uh, emerged, the people who could read and write had more control and more power. And so it became now it's self-reinforcing the more, the better I am at symbolic thinking, the higher status I'm going to have, I'm going to be able to have more, more children support them. And that has continued. I mean, that's where the dysfunction starts to happen. I mean, exactly. And that's why it keeps getting more and more self-reinforcing. And now look at today where the people who are the most skilled at symbolic thinking they're doctors, they're engineers, mm-hmm. they're highly verbal, which would be like a politician um, or, you know, an entertainer, celebrity, what have you. And so it keeps becoming more self-reinforcing where the more clever you are, the more that you have that ability to wield symbolic thinking, mm-hmm. that natural selection is now selecting for that but then look at the consequences now we're almost at a point now where with ai the the people with those skills are now on the verge of creating a system that is going to replace the need for all of that highly symbolic thinking because now there's a system that can do all that for corporations for organizations and then what's left if if we've substituted virtue for symbolic thinking and then creates a system that destroys the need for people to have that skill i mean what a wasteland well that's the turning point that's what Lao Tzu in, probably envisioned as you know the natural flow of all things when certain things are pushed to the limit or to a you know, a breaking point, mm-hmm. you know, that things will, you know, that wasteland, you know, will emerge. And mm-hmm. from that wasteland will probably pop up, pop, pop up some new, new birth of something else. Yep. To, to connect it back to the beginning, the garbage heap. Yeah. 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 What, what comes out of a garbage heap? Well, compost. What, yes. what does compost do? It, becomes fertilizer for something new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in connecting our discussion to our, to our everyday life, right? So given what we have discussed, you know, now obviously we are living in the world we've just been talking about, right? The uh, Obviously we're living in our own human bubble, Right, uh, there are certain attributes or qualities or skills to get reinforced, you know, in that bubble, 
So for, you know, ordinary human beings, you know, like you and me and our listeners, what are the things that we can do to navigate, uh, to navigate through this time? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it still starts with understanding. And mm -hmm. w without understanding, it, I mean, what can you do? If, right. if you don't, mm -hmm. if you don't understand how to eat, it's going to be tough to get the nourishment that you need. If you don't understand how to do something, obviously accomplishing it is going to be very challenging. Right. So what kind of understanding is most helpful? From my very limited perspective as a human being, it seems like, again, that timeless understanding, the understanding we've talked about, um, emptiness that there's this timeless space where everything is empty and these forms emerge and fall away. And, and that's, what's constant. So, right. With, through, could you, could mm -hmm. you define that emptiness? We never had a chance to define it. What is that? Is that total void? Is that, you know, the absence of the absence of substance. What is that emptiness you're talking about? It's more like a clear container, like a clear, mm -hmm. if we want to say observer or consciousness, but it's another, I think this is where it's helpful to use maybe another Buddhist term of non-attachment. So non-attachment doesn't mean detached. So detached means I'm not involved in any of right. this. I'm, right. But non-attachment means I am a part of this, but I'm also not trying to hold on to or cling to anything because that would be absurd because you can't, because there's nothing, that's the emptiness part. There's nothing solid there. So emptiness doesn't mean void. It doesn't mean non-being. It just simply means room and space for possibilities. Is that the correct understanding? Just to, uh, it's it's not like yeah. full of certain, you know, things, our ego, ourselves, or full of, you know, our preoccupation or obsession with material things only. So it's like yeah. creating that, that emptiness is not like, nihilistic emptiness it's it's like us room and space for diversity of things yeah including sometimes feeling nihilistic i mean i think it's make it's it's also making space for that because i think mm -hmm. with any serious amount of spiritual pursuit if 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 you don't touch upon nihilism I don't see how it's possible to to get like that's right. part of the process. Yeah, I think it's a interesting philosophical debate, you know, in terms of existentialism and nihilism, mm -hmm. right? So for you know Sartre, uh, even though he claims that you know existence precedes 
essence, yep. he still believes that it's up to our individuals uh, to create uh, our own beliefs and values to navigate life, right? But the thing that I see with the problem with that is it can become very too individualistic or uh, idiosyncratic that there's no any objective thing out there because everybody can claim, everybody can feel self-justified through Mm -hmm. their own justification. What's good, what's interesting about the virtue is it kind of provides the room for our individual natural right mm-hmm. arising of that from our own you know based on our intrinsic you know differences but at the same time it doesn't impose any standard it seems like it provides a navigation that existentialists to, they they want to have because we do, cannot expect a god or heaven a gold standard we all follow Right, so mm. I think it's a liberation that existentialists they they uh, they they say it's up to us, it's our mm. responsibility. But once it becomes our responsibility, it seems like in society, in our culture, everybody is doing their own thing. There's yeah. nothing that holds Warping us together. It. Yeah. While the Taoists seem to point out that actually we are all connected. We are mm-hmm. we are to all. If you just get closer, a little bit closer to that inside of that, uh, you know, what this chapter mm-hmm. is talking about, the Zhen and the Xing, and that Zhen and Xing, that authenticity is that point of place where virtue naturally arises. Yeah, I would say Taoism goes beyond humanism because, of course, humanists are like, well, you know, yeah, there's no... There's no purpose to the universe, but I'm a human, so I'm just going to be focused on human, you know, concerns where yeah, Taoism yeah. goes beyond that and, and even going back to that deep realization that this situation doesn't apply to just humans, it applies to everything. Yeah, yeah. Because way back in ancient Greece, uh, one of the Sophists claimed that humans are the measure of all things. So that's mm-hmm. the precursor to the mm-hmm. humanist, you know, during the Renaissance period. Mm-hmm. But once that become the center, right? That's what, where we are ending up, right? We yeah. are almost like, we're not acknowledging we are small part of yes. that cosmos, right? Which causes its problems. Yeah, because then it because it still then says, well, humans are humans are responsible for the world and humans are responsible for this stuff. And that's where it's the opposite of Wuwei, where if yes, if we if we weren't interfering so much in everything, things could settle a lot more. But it's our constant interfering and trying to control everything individually and as a species that keeps kind of creating more and bigger problems. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it comes to balance and moderation. In other words, we cannot assume that even though how noble it sounds, you know, we are account, you know, we are shouldering, we are the, you know, we are the uh, master or we are even like we, 
you know, like the Genesis, we are uh, the steward of this world, right? Mm -hmm. This creating world uh, by the commands of, you know, God. Uh, I think given the human nature, uh, sometimes I even feel like we're not up to that task. We have to mm -mm. acknowledge that, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, but at the same time, we're not the, I don't feel, I don't feel like we're, I don't feel we're nothing. We still have like agency, but it's how we exercise agency. If we exercise that agency in a humble and, uh, you know, compassionate way in alignment with the Tao, I think that is the right agency, which we call virtue. Uh, so somewhere in between these two things, per perhaps we can navigate this thing we call life. Well, we are at the end of our, you know, uh, hour and, uh, well, thank you, Yen, for you know having this uh, discussion uh, with me, and I'm hoping that uh, our listeners, you know, will uh, find this uh, discussion very helpful and relevant to the way we live our life every day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We make this podcast for you, and it's entirely listener supported. If you find value in our discussion of Tao, please consider making a small donation at walkingthetimelessway.com. We also want to hear from you. Please write to us anytime via our website.